All right, well, I wish that I could stand up here for the next 40 minutes or so and talk to you about nothing other than the Acts 1-8 project like you just saw in that video. But unfortunately, they won't let me do that. But here's what I will say. Every student who is a part of the Acts 1-8 project has a life-changing experience. We are so excited about this project as a church. We're excited about it as a college ministry. The vision of our college ministry is this, is we wanna see a spirit-led, disciple-making movement in Winston-Salem and around the world. And so what we wanna see is we wanna see four things. We wanna see salvation, transformation, multiplication, and mobilization. And one of the ways that we pursue those things is the Acts 1-8 project. And so here is our challenge to every college student. We want every college student to prayerfully consider giving one half of one of your summers to the Acts 1-8 project. What we can promise as a staff is this will be an experience where you will be invested in and you will just have memories that will last you for a lifetime. And so if you are interested in this, you can see more information on our website. I'm gonna take a moment to pray for us, pray for our college students, and then we're gonna jump into the series on Joseph together. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the many college students we have in our church. I pray that this semester and this year would be an incredibly fruitful time for them. I pray that we would see tons of salvations. I pray that we would see our college students grow and transformed. And then I pray that many of them would be sent out and mobilized. Father, I pray that our college ministry would be known for being an attractional alternative to what the college campus tends to offer. And Father, I pray for each student that we have, that as they consider their next steps, whether it be this semester or this summer, that you would give them clarity on what you would have for them when it comes to what it looks like for them to be a part of the mission of God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. You see, what most of us want is we want forgiveness for ourselves, but we want justice for everyone else, right? Here's what we all know is true. You will never find a church or a community group or a workplace or a neighborhood or a family where you will not be sinned against. And there's two groups of people in this room, and sometimes you overlap in these groups, but one group of people are like Joseph's brothers in this story. You have sinned against others, and what you need is you need to be forgiven. And then the second group, and this is also many of you in here, is that you are in the position of Joseph. Joseph has been sinned against. Some of you have been sinned against terribly, but all of you have been sinned against in some way. And whenever you're sinned against, you really just have two options. Option one, Bitterness, resentment, anger, or the other option is forgiveness and reconciliation, which is what we're gonna see from Joseph in this passage. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab those and flip, flip to Joseph, or sorry, Genesis chapter 45. It's where we're gonna be today. Over the last couple of weeks, we have seen Joseph go from the pit to Potiphar's to prison to the palace. And what we saw last week was that there was a famine throughout the entire region of Egypt. And what happens is that Joseph's brothers, they are coming to Egypt and they are looking for food but what they really are needing is forgiveness. And so this passage is gonna lead us to talk about a handful of things this morning. We're gonna have to talk about some hard questions like this. How do you forgive someone who was supposed to protect you but didn't? For some of you, that's your story. Your parents were supposed to protect you, but they didn't. For whatever reason, they, they were not intentional enough about trying to keep you from having terrible habits when you were in middle school and high school. And so by the time you left for college or by the time you left the house, you were far from innocent. For some of you, your siblings were supposed to protect you, but they didn't. For some of you, your spouse was supposed to protect your marriage, but they didn't. And so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness not? And then maybe the deepest question we're gonna talk about today is this, where is God in all this? 
Because I'm sure that in a room this size, some of you in here right now are suffering and you might be wondering this, is God in control? Is God really with me in the mess? And so we'll talk about that. And so we don't have much to cover today. All we have to talk about is forgiveness, the sovereignty of God and suffering. And so Genesis chapter 45, it's where we're gonna be. Just to pick up where we left off. So, so last week, Judah, which is one of Joseph's brothers, he is giving a speech of repentance. And now in this scene, we have all of Joseph's brothers standing before him. And this scene that we're about to look at is the climax of this entire narrative of Joseph. And so let's see what happens. Genesis 45, verse one, it says this. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. So Joseph is ugly crying here. So that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. You, you read that they are dismayed at his presence and you think to yourself, oh yeah, for sure. That's probably putting it mildly. I want you to put yourself in the position of the brothers. The brothers in this moment, they realize two things. The first thing they realize is that Joseph is alive. 22 years ago, they sold him into slavery. And so when they see that he's alive, they're probably thinking this is their worst nightmare. And so they realize he's alive. But the second thing they realize is that not only is he alive, he is Lord of all Egypt. What that means is that no one can make them pay like Joseph can make them pay. And so that's what the brothers are feeling. Now I want you to put yourself in the position of Joseph. What is Joseph feeling in this moment? We have to understand that Joseph is a real man with real emotions. Joseph is not just a cartoon character with a colorful coat that you learned about in Sunday school. He, he's a real guy and he's really hurting in this moment. Well, why is Joseph hurting? Well, he's probably hurting for a wide variety of reasons, but probably the main reason that Joseph is feeling pain here is because he has had something taken from him that he can never get back. For many of you, forgiveness is challenging because you have had things taken from you that you can never get back. Maybe it was your childhood. Maybe it was your innocence. Maybe it was a relationship that you lost. A couple weeks ago, I was talking with a friend of mine about forgiveness, and he's a godly man. Years ago, he was married, and his wife at the time committed adultery. And to this day, she is still unrepentant. Well, they have split custody of their kids, and he told me, that the most challenging part of his forgiveness journey is having to come home after work a lot of days and his kids are not there. What's happening is that he is being robbed of time with his kids and his kids are being robbed of time with him. And so this makes forgiveness so hard. Joseph is hurting. The second thing we have to ask is what, is jo what are Joseph's options here? He's got, he's got numerous options. I'll give you four. And as I, as I walk through these, I want you to think about this. Which, one, which option of these would you choose if you were Joseph? So option one for Joseph is he could have just put his brothers in prison or sold them into slavery. He could have just called Potiphar up and be like, hey man, I know we didn't end on the greatest terms, but I've got some new slaves for you. Congratulations. That was one option. He could have certainly just sold them back into slavery. Option number two is Joseph could have had him killed. He was a very powerful guy. He would have certainly been able to do this. This would not have been that uncommon back then. The third option is he could have sent his brothers home and let them starve to death. He could have just said, hey, tough luck to you guys. The one guy that can give you food is the guy that you sold into slavery 22 years ago. But that's not what he does. The fourth option that he has, and we're gonna see this, is that he forgives his brothers and he brings them close. 
By the way, did you notice what happened in verse 3 there? It says that Joseph had everyone leave except his brothers. Why did he do that? Well, we're not told explicitly. He may have just wanted some privacy. That's certainly possible. But I think that the principle that we see here is that there's something about true forgiveness that doesn't want to flaunt other people's sins. There's something about true forgiveness that doesn't want to bring people into what happened unnecessarily. Helpful principle. All right, let's keep going. Verse four, Joseph says this. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. He's being so gentle with them. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Now, I wanna stop here because we, as Joseph is forgiving his brothers, what we need to pay close attention to is what he is not doing. And so there's four things that I'm gonna tell you that forgiveness is not. You may wanna write these down. The first is that forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Notice that Joseph says in verse four and in verse five, he says, you sold me. And so he's clearly not forgetting that these things happened. He's not pretending that all of this never happened in his past. He has not forgotten. There are a couple of things that we should just stop saying totally. I'll give you two of them. Something that we should stop saying is, you should forgive and forget. We should stop saying that. You know what you forget? You forget your passwords. You forget to water your plants. You forget where you put your car keys. You forget to move the laundry from the washer to the dryer. Those are the kind of things you forget. You don't forget it when someone sins against you. That's not how it works. And you may say, well, doesn't it say in Jeremiah that God will remember our sins no more? Yes, it, it does say that. Basically what that means, and we heard this a couple weeks ago, is that when God looks at you, he is not going to hold your sin in between his relationship with you. And so forgiveness is not forgetting. Something else that we should stop saying is this. Whenever someone sins against we should stop saying, you should just get over it. You know what you get over? You get over a cold. You get over a stomach bug. You don't just get over it when someone sins against you. And so forgiveness is not forgetting. The second thing that forgiveness is not is minimizing. Notice here that Joseph is not minimizing what his brothers has done. He's, he's not looking to his brothers and being like, guys, this is not that big of a deal. These last 22 years, they've just flown by. In fact, I love the weather in Egypt better anyway. And on top of all that, I get to wear this cool headdress with snakes on it. This is great. That, that's not what happened. He says, he says, you sold me. And then we're gonna see here in a minute in chapter 50, he's gonna say, what you did to me was evil. And so he is not minimizing what his brothers have done. And the principle here is that some of you may need to stop minimizing what was done to you. Part of how we cope when we are sinned against is we try to minimize what was done to us and we try to tell ourselves a big, it's not a big deal, even if it is. And so this might be you saying something like, well, he was drunk when he said that. She was drunk when she did that to me. Or you might say, well, everybody's family is this dysfunctional. It's minimizing what's going on. And if you minimize what was done to you, what normally happens is even if you have convinced, even if you've convinced yourself that it's not affecting you, the people who are around you, who know you and love you, they can tell that it's affecting you. They can tell. My wonderful mom, about a year ago, she was having some trouble with her shoulder. And I wanted her to get it looked at it, but she looked at it, but she continued to minimize her shoulder problems. And I was like, mom, I want you to lift up your shoulder for me like this. And mom was like, I can do that. It's like, mom, lift it up. And she's like, mm. it's like, mom, it's like, you're clearly minimizing what's going on here. 
part of the healing process when you have been sinned against is you have to be real about what is going on. You have to just call it what it is. You, you can't sugarcoat it. And so forgiveness is not minimizing. The third thing forgiveness is not is forgiveness is not trusting the other person. We're gonna see this, we're gonna see this in just a second, but later in this chapter, Joseph is gonna send his brothers back to his father Jacob. And what he's gonna tell them is he's gonna say, do not quarrel on the way. And what that tells us is that even though Joseph is forgiving his brothers, he has not forgotten their character. He has not forgotten their history. And so he's basically saying, hey guys, I can remember what it was like 22 years ago when you guys were traveling alone. You sold me into slavery. And so maybe on your way home back to dad, maybe you shouldn't sell Benjamin. That would be a good idea. Forgiveness is not the same thing as trusting. A couple weeks ago, we took my two-year-old daughter, Emma, to a gymnastics museum. She loves it. She just runs around and plays and has a great time. Well, she was having a great time, and some three-year-old little boy walks up to Emma, and for no apparent reason, he just shoves her. And Emma, she's, she's so innocent. She's just like, what is happening right now? She has no idea what's going on. And the boy's mom comes over, and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And we're like, oh, it's fine. Now, can we forgive the little boy for shoving Emma? Yes. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> hey, maybe not. Well... In that moment, I was feeling gracious. So in that moment, (laughs) I was able to forgive this little three-year-old boy. But in that moment, am I going to trust that boy enough for him to play with Emma again? It's like, no, no, like you you go over there. Emma's gonna play over here, you stay over there. And so forgiveness is not synonymous with trusting. Now, again, we believe in the grace of God. We believe that trust can be built over time, but just because you forgive someone doesn't mean that you automatically trust them again. And so forgiveness is not trusting. The last thing forgiveness is not is forgiveness is not God's forgiveness. Or maybe a better way to say it is this. Your forgiveness is not God's forgiveness. Here's an interesting question to think about. Even though Joseph forgives his brothers, are all of Joseph's brothers ultimately forgiven by God? Well, we don't know because we're not told explicitly. We think probably they probably were forgiven. Because we're told in Genesis chapter 49 that Jacob blesses all of his sons. And we also know that from those brothers come the 12 tribes of Israel. But the principle here is that you can extend horizontal forgiveness to someone, but they might still need vertical forgiveness from God. Just because you forgive your brother doesn't mean that they still don't need to be forgiven by God. And so here's another way to think about it. You can extend earthly forgiveness and what God has to offer is eternal forgiveness. And so forgiveness or your forgiveness is not God's forgiveness. And so we've talked about what forgiveness is not. Now let's look and see what forgiveness is. We're gonna pick up in verse six. Joseph says this. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Now we're gonna see one of the most amazing verses in Genesis. It says this. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. We're gonna talk more about the sovereignty of God here in a second. But what you need to see here is that Joseph is saying to his brothers, you sold me, but God sent me. That's what he's saying. You sold me, but God sent me. He's saying God sent me here to ultimately preserve life for this region, which would ultimately result in the people of Israel being preserved. Joseph continues, verse nine. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, 
God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. So what we see here in this powerful moment is that Joseph's brothers are realizing that not only is Joseph alive, not only is Joseph Lord of all Egypt, but his brothers in this moment are realizing that they are forgiven. They realize that they are forgiven. And we need to talk about what forgiveness is. So if you look to the New Testament, the, the definition of forgiveness seems to be something close to the canceling of a debt that someone owes you. Forgiveness is canceling a debt that is owed to you. And so if you are here and you are still holding out hope that the government is going to forgive your student loans that you voluntarily took out, what you are hoping for is that the debt that you owe is canceled. And we see a picture of that in this story, but what we also see in this story is that Joseph seems to be extending both mercy and grace to his brothers. There's a component of mercy and grace when it comes to forgiveness. And with forgiveness, mercy, grace, and justice are very closely connected. And so I'm just gonna define each of them. Justice is giving someone the punishment that they deserve. Mercy is not giving someone the punishment they deserve. And then grace is giving some, someone something good that they don't deserve. And so let's say that you go downtown and you park in a parking spot where there's a big sign right there that says, unauthorized vehicles will be towed at the owner's expense. If you park there and come back and your car is being towed, that's justice. If you come back and the tow truck driver's there and he's, he's saying, hey, you know, I'm in a really great mood today. I don't think I'm gonna tow your car. That is him showing you mercy. If you come back and the tow truck driver has a tank of gas and he's filling up your car with gas, that is him showing grace to you. And so what Joseph's doing in this passage is when he says, you shall be near me, what he's doing is he is showing his brother's mercy. And then when he says, I will provide for you, he is showing them grace. And so forgiveness is canceling a debt. Forgiveness is extending mercy and grace. By the way, do you notice what's happening here in this narrative? It's almost as if Joseph is being resurrected from the dead, which, result, which is resulting in life for his brothers. If you're a Christian here, that should sound very familiar. Because the center of the Christian faith is that Jesus Christ, after he died the, died the death that we deserve on the cross, he rose from the dead, which is gonna result in life for anyone who repents and believes. And so we'll come back to this later. Let's keep going. So we've talked about what forgiveness is not. We've talked about what forgiveness is. Now we're gonna see how to forgive. We're gonna pick up in verse 24, it says this. Then he, Joseph, sent his brothers away. And as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. See, he hasn't forgotten their history. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. And Israel, which is Jacob, he said, 
it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. So there's a quick truth that we see here about forgiveness. When you forgive someone, it affects more than just that person. There is a downstream effect to forgiveness. When Joseph forgives his brothers, what's gonna happen is that his father, Jacob, is going to benefit from it as well. And so the principle is that there's more at stake than just the relationship between you and the person you need to forgive. There are a lot more people that can benefit from it. And so what that does is that ends chapter 45, and then in chapters 46 through 49, Jacob is gonna be the main character of the story. And basically what happens is that Jacob and his family, they come to Egypt, they reunite with Joseph. It's wonderful. Joseph and Pharaoh in Egypt, they prosper. And then in chapter 49 and 48, I think, Jacob is going to bless Joseph's sons, and then Jacob's gonna bless all 12 of his sons, and then Jacob is gonna die here in verse 49. It says, when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. After Jacob dies, what's gonna happen is very interesting. Because what we're about to see is that once Jacob dies, his sons are gonna start to doubt Joseph's forgiveness of them. They're gonna look to each other and basically be like, hey, now that dad's died, now that dad's gone, maybe Joseph's gonna finally pay us back. And so what we find out is that for the last 17 years, they have been doubting Joseph's forgiveness of them, which is where we're gonna pick up in Genesis 50, verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back. See, they understand their sin incurred a debt to Joseph. It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He's crying again. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. And so again, Joseph forgave his brothers for 17 years earlier. And we find out for the entire time, they are doubting his forgiveness. We're not really told exactly why they doubt his forgiveness in this passage, but I'm sure that it's one, either one of two reasons probably. His brothers probably either don't realize enough how forgiving Joseph is, or they are too fixated on their sin against Joseph. I have seen so many people over the years fail to receive God's forgiveness for those exact same reasons. They are either too fixated on their own personal sin, and they think that they are so bad that God is unable to save them, or they are not aware enough of how much God wants to forgive them. And so what you might need to see here is that you need to see the same thing the brothers see, which is that if the person in charge says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. If the God of the universe says you're clean, hey, good news, you're clean. You can stop beating yourself up about it. Now let's look at um, how Joseph responds, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. How can you tell if you've forgiven somebody? Well, your words will usually reveal it. It says Joseph spoke kindly to them. 
Jesus would say in the gospels, he would say out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if you are wondering whether or not you've forgiven someone, just think about how you have been speaking about them lately. Because if your words are more consistent with bitterness and resentment and revenge and anger, then that is a way that your heart is telling you that you actually haven't forgiven that person. And so what we are seeing here is Joseph forgiving his brothers. And we need to talk about how do you forgive? So if you are going to forgive, two things have to be true. It may be more than this, but it certainly can't be less than this. The first thing that must be true if you want to forgive is you must have a theology of suffering. You must have a theology of suffering. Joseph clearly has a theology of suffering here. He says, what you intended for evil, God meant it for good. And so the reason that Joseph was able to forgive his brothers is because he understood that God had a purpose in all of his unjust suffering. Joseph understood when he looked back on the previous 22 years of his life, that even though he was suffering unjustly, what God was doing is he was preparing and positioning him. You see, a theological truth that can be hard for us to understand is that God, even though he is unable to commit evil, he will sometimes allow it. But how many of you in this room can look back on a season of suffering in your life and you can say now with confidence that what God was doing was he was preparing and positioning you? It's what he was doing. Maybe it was a terrible breakup that you experienced. Maybe it was being misunderstood at work. Maybe it was someone betrayed you. Maybe it was something painful in your childhood. And what God was doing in some way that's hard to understand is he was preparing and positioning you. A big difference between believers and non-believers is that believers have a theology of suffering and non-believers typically do not. Non-believers will look at passages like this and they will say something like this. Well, if God were infinitely loving, he would not want Joseph to suffer unjustly. And then they would say, if God were infinitely powerful, he would be able to stop Joseph from suffering unjustly. And so since Joseph is suffering unjustly, that must mean that God is either not fully loving or fully powerful. Therefore, this story proves that the Christian loving, powerful God must not exist. I can remember hearing in college, my pastor at the time, he was talking about this idea. And he said that what Christians understand is that if God is infinite in love, and if he is infinite in power, he is also going to be infinite in wisdom. Something that I love to do is I love to think about the gap between God's power and my power. And so think about that. God, he creates the universe. He raises Jesus from the dead. He creates the complexities of the world. And me, this past week, I got an Expo marker on my favorite shirt, and I still have not been able to get it out. It's not even a permanent marker, but it's, it's still there. Now, that is a pretty big gap between God's power and my power. And what the Christian understands is, is that if the gap between God's power and our power is that big, the gap between God's wisdom and our wisdom is also just as big. And so what that means is that there will be things that happen in your life that you're not gonna be able to understand why they happen. And the reason you're not able to is because you are not infinite in wisdom. John Newton, he was the pastor and author and hymn writer who wrote the song Amazing Grace in the 1700s. He was writing to his friend in a letter. And he was talking about the sovereignty of God. He was talking about God's wisdom. And he was talking about how Christ is a skilled surgeon. And he said this, he said, faithful are the wounds of our infallible friend, which is God. He said, he sometimes cuts deep, but never too deep, nor at the wrong place, nor at the wrong time. And he is near to heal. 
John Newton, he had a theology of suffering. He knew that your pain is not pointless. The sovereignty of God, what it does, it does not minimize your pain, but it does give you hope that there can be purpose in your pain. Some of you might need to hear this today. Your pain has a purpose. It's not accidental. Is it possible that the suffering that you're going through right now is a way that God is preparing you and positioning you? Joseph understood that's what God was doing. So the first thing you have to do is, if you want to forgive, you have to have a theology of suffering. The second thing is, if you want to forgive, you have to choose, underline the word choose, you have to choose to cancel the debt. Joseph's brothers, they come to him and they say, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin. They're basically saying to Joseph, hey, will you cancel our debt? And Joseph responds by saying, am I in the place of God? He says, you don't owe me. What Joseph is doing is he is choosing to cancel the debt of his brothers by welcoming them in and bringing them close. As I read about forgiveness over the last couple of weeks, I learned that everyone seems to say the exact same thing about forgiveness, or they say the same thing about how to forgive. Maybe everybody's reading each other. But they say this, forgiveness is often granted before it is felt. And that makes sense. You're often gonna forgive someone before you actually feel like you've forgiven them. But everybody also says this, forgiveness is not a, not a feeling, but a decision. Forgiveness is not a feeling, but a decision. Now, we think feelings are important. Feelings can be an indicator to you about what's going on in your heart. That is very good. But the problem with feelings is that instead of feelings being indicators to you, we let them be dictators. And so what that means is that if you wait until you feel like forgiving someone, you're probably never gonna actually forgive them, which is why forgiveness has to be a decision to cancel the debt. And so what some of you may need to do is you may need to extend to someone the four promises of forgiveness. I heard these years back and I've just found them to be so helpful. The four promises of forgiveness are this. Number one, I will not dwell on this incident. The second is I will not bring up this incident in the future and use it against you. The third promise is I will not talk to others about this incident. And then the fourth promise is I will not let this incident stand between us and hinder our personal relationship. Now, I understand all these are hard. These are all very challenging. I think that the first one may be the most challenging, which is I will not dwell on this incident. Because whenever someone is sins against you, the temptation is for you to just dwell on it and linger on it and just let it just create bitterness in you. I'm sure that a lot of you over the years have gotten a speeding ticket. Well, whenever you get a speeding ticket, you actually get a piece of paper. I may or may not know from experience. And once you get this piece of paper, you get to decide what you want to do with it. And so you can, if you want to, you can take that piece of paper and you can put it on your refrigerator where you see it every day. Or you can take that piece of paper, you can put it in your office. Or you can take it and you can put it in the basement. To not forgive, to withhold forgiveness from someone is almost like taking that incident, putting it on your refrigerator and just sticking it there. And so what happens is that you just put the betrayal on the refrigerator. You put whatever terrible happened to you years ago, boom, right there on the refrigerator. And you're choosing to put it there. And the problem with that is that you see it every day. And so to forgive is to decide, it's to make a conscious choice to take that incident, to put it in a folder, put it in a box, put it in the basement where you don't see it hardly ever. Now, you're gonna know that it's there. You haven't forgotten that it happened, but you are not seeing it every day. And so to forgive is to not dwell on the incident, is to not talk to others about it, 
It's to not bring it up in the future and use it against somebody. And it's to not let that incident stand between you and the relationship of that person. And so we've talked about what forgiveness is. We've talked about what it's not. We've talked about how to forgive. With, with the time we have left, we're going to talk about why we forgive. So let's look at how this story ends. The last few verses of Genesis, it says this. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, so he gets seven decades with his brothers. It's amazing. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And so, so Joseph says to his brothers, he says, God will be with you. And he says, God's gonna keep his promises. Verse 25, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. What we see here is that Joseph leaves an incredible legacy of forgiveness. There are so many things we can learn from the life of Joseph. But as we wrap up here, I just wanna give you two things. The first thing that we learn from the life of Joseph is that God is with you in your suffering. We're told numerous times throughout this narrative that God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph in the pit. He was with Joseph in, the, in Potiphar's. He was with Joseph in the prison. And God is with you in your suffering. You see, the problem, whenever someone goes through suffering, the most common thing that they are told is that God is in control. And that's true. We are so grateful that God is in control. But what, what's challenging about that is that when you are in the middle of suffering, it normally doesn't feel like God is in control, which is why we need to be told, yes, God is in control, but we also need to be told, God is with you in your suffering. God is with you when you get the bad diagnosis. God is with you when you get passed over for the job. He's with you when you're betrayed. He's with you when someone gets sick. He is with you in the mess. He's with, with you when you, get a when you um, are misunderstood. He's with you when you are born with a disability. He is with you in your suffering. Last week, I was talking to Pastor Jordan. He's our care pastor. He was talking to some of our college students and he asked this question. He said, do we really need to know why God allows us to suffer? Or is what we really need to know that God is just with us when we suffer? I think it's the latter. Recently, I've been given a lot of thought to the idea that marriage is supposed to give us a picture of how God is with us when we suffer. A couple of months ago, my father-in-law was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. He and my mother-in-law, they're from Tennessee, but for multiple reasons, they, they moved here to Winston-Salem, moved into our house, and he is getting chemo treatment at Baptist. And over the last couple of months, as I have just observed my mother-in-law and father-in-law, I have noticed that she is with him constantly. She is with him in the house. She is with him when he goes to the appointments. She is with him. This, she was with him this past week when he was in the hospital. And so in the same way that marriage is often, to, often gonna give you a picture of how God is with you, we need to understand that God is with us in our suffering. Jesus promises us the same thing. He promises us in Matthew 28. He says, I am with you always. And so we learn from Joseph's life that God is with you in your suffering. The second thing we learn from Joseph's life is that forgiveness is possible. We learn that forgiveness is possible. Joseph was sinned against terribly. He was sold into slavery and lost 22 years of his family. But what his life shows us is that forgiveness is possible. And the Christian understands that the reason forgiveness is possible is because God gives forgiveness to us. 
The reason we forgive is because of the gospel. You see, of all the different narratives in Genesis, Joseph's life probably gives us the clearest picture of Jesus' life. Joseph's life gives us a picture of the gospel. Because just like Joseph, Jesus would also be betrayed by those who were supposed to protect him. Just like Joseph, Jesus would be misunderstood. Instead of being sold into slavery like Joseph, Jesus would be sold for 30 pieces of silver and then he would die on a cross. Just like Joseph would go from the pit to the palace, Jesus himself would go from the tomb to the throne. And then just like Joseph, what Jesus does is he uses his position of authority to offer forgiveness to those who repent. He offers forgiveness freely. And so I cannot talk about forgiveness without asking these three questions. The first is this, is are you forgiven? Are you forgiven? Do you need to ask someone for horizontal forgiveness? Have you sinned against someone in the past and for whatever reason, you have not asked them for forgiveness? Are you forgiven by God? Do you have vertical forgiveness? What some of you in here might need to realize is the same thing that Joseph's brothers realized. They realized that Joseph was alive, he was Lord of all Egypt, and they were forgiven. What you might need to hear is that Jesus is alive. Jesus is Lord of everything. And by the grace of God, you can be forgiven. And so are you forgiven? The second question is this, who needs to see you forgive? Some of you have been sinned against terribly, but there are people in your life that need to see you forgive. Your kids need to see you forgive. They need to see you forgive your spouse. They need to see you forgive other people in your family. Your non-believing friends need to see you forgive. They need to see, wow, this person is so full of grace. They are so forgiving. What What is up with them? How do you explain this? So are you forgiven? Who needs to see you forgive? And then lastly, who do you need to forgive? Another way to say it is who is it and what is it? Maybe you need to forgive a parent. Maybe you need to forgive someone that you don't interact with at all anymore. Maybe it's a brother. Maybe it's a father. Maybe it's a child. I've heard it said before that parenting is to forgive and then it's to forgive again. It's to keep forgiving. Some of you here, you might need to forgive yourself. You did something years ago. Maybe it was intentional. Maybe it was accidental. Whatever it was, you continue to just beat yourself up over it. You just dwell on it. It's robbing you of joy. You're struggling to receive God's forgiveness. And I've heard it said before that the thing about unforgiveness is that joy and sorrow can coexist. But joy and unforgiveness cannot coexist. And so in view of what we see in this passage, in view of the life of Joseph, in view of the mercies of God, I want to ask you in this room, would you choose to cancel the debt? Would you choose to extend mercy and grace? Would you choose to forgive? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the life of Joseph and all that it teaches us. I thank you that we can see that you are in control even in the midst of our suffering and that what you are often doing is you are preparing us and positioning us. I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ that our pain has a purpose. And Father, I just wanna pray for those in this room who are filled with unforgiveness. There are many in this room who are hurting and Father, I pray that you first would heal their wounds. 
And Father, I pray that you would give them the grace and the strength to forgive. Curtis said that to forgive is to release the prisoner and to realize that prisoner was you. So Lord, I just pray that by the grace of God, that the people in this room would be able to forgive. Help us to believe the promise of Romans 8, 28, that for everything, for those who love you, everything is working together for our good and for your purpose. Pray all this in Jesus' name.